Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This word in your earmark is brought to you courtesy of NordVPN. VPN, you'll need no reminding, stands for... Virtual Private Network. Say it again. (laughs) Virtual Private Network, folks. And what is that, Mark? It's a way to keep your data safe on the internet, wherever you're logging in, either at home or abroad. Uh, It protects your identity and encrypts your data. What does it do, Mark? It encrypts your data. I think it encrypts your data. And, And does it very effectively, actually. It does. Very promptly. And it does it so that nobody can steal your identity, because I know many people are after your identity. Yes, they do. So many people would like to be me internationally. And seriously, it probably are people. (laughs) Um, And at the same time, there's a fun side. Uh, It enables you to access the internet via servers in more than 50 different countries, Mark. You can choose whether you want to be in Singapore or Latvia or the United States or Australia or Brazil or wherever. And this means, this has the advantage of meaning you can often sidestep region restrictions and stream movies and TV programs from all around the world. Um, I'll tell you what I've been watching on the telly Go on. in the last week or so. I don't know if you've ever if you ever come across it. Delhi Crime no. uh, is a is a it's sort of Indian Canadian production. Uh, and it's basically a police procedural set in Delhi in India. Uh, and so it, it's like if you can imagine the wire was set in Delhi rather than Baltimore. Fantastic. Uh, and compared to Baltimore, you know, it may, Delhi makes Baltimore look like, you know, uh, I don't know. Upmarket. Stoke Poge. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Virginia uh, Water. Virginia <laughs> Water. Um, you know, it's, it, I think it's really quite good. And it's uh, just watching the first series, I think they've done, they've done two series. And this one's based on real crime that a horrific horrific crime that actually occurred in in india about 10 years ago uh, but i'll tell you what i think is really good about it it's two things it's like i think we had this conversation a while ago when we both watched call my agent the, yeah, French, the French series 
The great thing about it is you, you're travelling to a place, in the case of Paris, we've been to Paris, but I've never been to Delhi. You know? So this is obviously shot in Delhi. So it, it feels like a city the like of which you never personally experienced at all. You know, do we? It's, it's, um, you know, very low-rise buildings, loads of dust and, and apparent chaos everywhere. Everywhere you look, you can't, you can't believe this place possibly functions, but somehow it kind of does. But the other thing, you know what's more important, you know, what I increasingly value is I increasingly value seeing a cast that I've never seen before. And well, I agree because you don't have to make any adjustments at all. You've got no emotional attachment to anybody and you don't have to think, oh, I remember them. What have I seen them in before and are they convincing in this? And I agree with you. And also, you know, with the average kind of uh, BBC or you know, standard Netflix or whatever, if it's, if it's the, you know, that big star... She'll, she'll, it'll all work out fine for her. It just will, because it always works out fine for big stars. Whereas this, whereas you don't know exactly who you've no idea the good Lord all. is rooting for. You've yeah. no idea at all. And um, you know, to, I, I, I would recommend this. I, I do, do think one of the great, one of the great benefits of, uh, of streaming television over the last few years is the we've we've been allowed access to other countries' drama. In a way that simply would not have happened if yeah. it had been. I mean, I know we had Scandi Noir and all that kind of thing, you know, but it didn't really go any further than that, you know. So, my wife went through a period of watching. Uh, every time I, I went in the room where she was watching television, she was watching uh, sort of Orthodox Jews, um, you know, in various different dramas. We she saw all of those. That was a bit of a, it was a vogue for it, wasn't yes. it? And they were really good. It's really good. Although like I can't it, see, I can't somehow, I can't see kind of Indian crime being a thing like Scandi Noir. I don't know why, but maybe. No, well, I, I don't think you yeah. make it. You can't make it glamorous or attractive. It's no, you not can't. supposed to be. Yeah, but it is. It is kind of gripping, you know. Yeah. Because you think, what is this like trying to do this job against the background of Delhi? It's like yeah. policing in Victorian London. You know, yeah. but with mobile phones. So it's very good. Anyway, so, you know, that's one of the many things I've been watching on telly. I don't watch that much telly, but, you know, it's, when you watch telly, you want to watch things you want to watch, don't you? Uh, so back to NordVPN. You can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash your ear or just use the code YOURIA to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free and a bonus gift. And it's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. As ever, full details in the show notes. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So here we go, a Stackwaddy game. I've got a Stackwaddy game for you, Mark. Oh, I'm going to spring this on you. And what you've got to tell me is, are the following, are they saucy advertising slogans or James Brown songs? Okay? Very saucy good. Saucy advertising slogans or James Brown songs. So one of these is James Brown song. Okay, okay the rest are saucy advertising slogans. The first one is, you might want to write these down, uh, and people at home might like to play along. <laughs> Get a pen and paper. Pen and paper. Call your nearest and a large, nearest relaxing drink into the into the room and say, "Let's try this." Are these saucy advertising slogans, or are they James, James Brown's Brown songs? songs? Okay, the first one. 
It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Next one. Is it in you? Is it in you? (laughs) Next one. It's so big, you've got to grin to get it in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, love that, Here we go. Good. The next one. Good to the last drop. Good to the last drop. Yeah. The next one. For goodness sakes, look at those cakes. (laughs) For goodness sakes, look at those cakes. And finally, when it fits... You feel it. Okay, I've got to run them down again. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Is it in you? It's so big, you've got a grin to get it in. Good to the last drop. For goodness sakes, look at those cakes. And finally, when it fits, you feel it. You, Mark Allen, have to tell me which of those is not a saucy advertising slogan, but is actually a James Brown song. I've got a terrible feeling that I know the answer. And uh, that's because I think I know the advertising slogan. And I, I think... I think I know some of the James Brown. I think it's the advertising slogan I recognise. Um, when it fits, you feel it is a James Brown song. No, you'd be wrong. No, <laughs> that, that, no. That is that is a, an advertisement slogan used by the American uh, retailer J C Penney. <laughs> no, so I got it right because there's only one. There's only there's one advertising No, 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 There's only one that's a James Brown song. That's what I told you. Anyway. Oh, 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 oh! I've got it the wrong way around. Okay, okay fine. Uh, okay, right. when it fits, you feel it. Okay, okay. Um, so which well, of those is good a James to the last Red? drop? Is an advertising slogan. It's Maxwell House Coffee. It is. It yes. is. Um, it takes a licking. And keeps on ticking. That's an advertising slogan. It is. It's Timex watches. Timex watches. Yeah. Um, it's so big. Is it? You so big? You grin to get it up. What's that? You've got what? a grin to get it in. The grin to get it in. So big. The grin to get it. In. Uh, that's an advertising slogan. It is. It's the wagon wheels. It's wagon wheels. That's so brilliant. Oh my lord! For goodness' sakes. Look at those cakes. That's got to be an advertising slogan. It just has to be, doesn't it? Well, you're wrong. No, 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 no. That's the James Brown song. For goodness sakes, look at those cakes. Look at those cakes. That is fantastic. So, you know, is it in you? Is is Gatorade? It's so big you've got to grin to get it in. Where's it advertising? Wagon wheels. And, And as we said, Maxwell House Coffee. Uh, but for goodness sakes, look at those cakes. That's really good. <laughs> James Brown tune. Well, this I stumbled like, at the first. That's got, absolutely brilliant. I've got another one for next week. I'll, well done. I'll hold it over. Well done. That's really good. So, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not being uh, deliberately controversial when I say that there's no doubt that the entertainment event of the week was. Now I'm not, I'm not seeking to shock anybody. Was the the funeral uh, of the Queen? Completely gripping. Because regardless of what you think of the significance of the institution or whatever, it was the most extraordinary piece of high-wire theatre I've ever seen in my life. I watched the whole thing, and can I just say, I took the key decision, which I think is going to guide all my TV viewing in future, which is when I turned on the BBC iPlayer, I was on my own at home, turned on the BBC iPlayer, the first thing it offered me was the option of commentary or no commentary 
And so I clicked no commentary. God, was I glad I did that. No, that's really interesting. I mean, actually, I mean, I watched the BBC one. And again, the whole thing. This was the BBC, but it was without commentary. commentary. I mean, they had, the commentary was quite spare. And they didn't feel. Feel. They didn't try and engineer it in any way to try and make you feel a certain way. It was just fact. It was kind of oh, well, that's, that's, that's who that um, president yeah, is, and yeah, that's who yeah. that famous person yeah, is. And yeah. that was quite interesting. But I know what you mean because we, we, we get so tired of being of being told how we should respond emotionally. And this is not just not just state occasions. This yeah. is, the same thing applies to football. <laughs> same thing applies to yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. anything that you watch, where they're covering a kind of live event. They're trying to they're trying to shape the narrative all the time, rather yeah. than just letting you decide about the narrative yourself. So I watched the whole thing, and occasionally consulting the BBC website where they would have an order of service, so I'd know what so was going to come next. On. You know, and you yeah. knew which what order they were processing, uh, and that kind of thing. So that was that was a useful background. But I spent the whole th- thing watching. You know, because I'm fascinated by just rehearsal and preparation in anything. Theatre, rock and roll, absolutely anything. Well, I'm just fascinated. we both saw the the incredible footage of the nighttime rehearsal. Well, you see, the, that was just the, incredible. Was it about three o'clock in the morning? They started. Oh, that's the, the point. That's my thing. point. I watched the whole thing. I thought, how have they possibly prepared for this? Yeah. Because you, you can't take Olympia and kind of. You know, and run it because you you're doing this on the streets of now, you've London. You've got to be in the actual streets you're, you're going to walk down. You've got to be turning those corners because I mean, when when you looked at it and you saw just tiny details like a platoon of soldiers turning ninety degrees to the left, and the ones on the far left have got to take slightly shorter steps, and 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 each one along the line to their right has got to take about an inch longer step, and they're doing all this while playing a clarinet. And, and looking, looking like like a fabulously well-oiled machine. You think, how on earth would you work that out? It's astonishing. And it's all preparation because we saw, and I think they probably filmed this first, but we're only allowed to show it, only allowed to put it on YouTube after it occurred. Forces yeah. Television, uh, which is a channel, um, were obviously out there at two o'clock in the morning a few days before. When they they ran through the whole thing, and I mean, and when I say hours, ran, I when I say ran through the whole thing, they ran through the whole thing in full fig. Absolutely, everybody oh, yeah. wearing, wearing wearing the uh, full uniform. Oh, dress rehearsal, busby's on, playing the music. Absolutely, everything done. You know, as it was going to be on, on the day, which is just I, I thought it was the most astonishing experience example of uh, of the power of presentation you but know. there were bits you and i were texting each other through throughout uh before i actually went out to see the uh the the cavalcade go through west london because they went 300 yards from the top of our road we had to go and have a look but um we were texting that one of the things we were both finding absolute agony was was when they lifted the co- oh when they were going God. up steps with the coffin oh they're bearer you, parties you so just cool. I know we became obsessed with the idea of how did they keep the Auburn scepter from falling off? Were they bolted on? You know, and and you were saying that you didn't actually see on live TV the moment where they shouldered the coffin. Is that right? I don't think. I you don't did. think they did. They deliberately you, you saw it just before that, untidy. and then you and then they went to a wide shot, yeah. and then and then you got a tight shot once it, once it was there. Um, I was just I was reading a thing in the Times subsequent that those guys have just returned from active duty in in iraq and have returned already <laughs> Which is just, no kidding so, these, these are not toy soldiers no no absolutely <laughs> they're they're real serving uh, you know serving guardsmen 
and to come back and do that, and you thought, you said, I couldn't, couldn't take my eyes off these guys. I thought, the Archbishop of Canterbury is not under the pressure you're under. You know, oh, nobody yeah. taking part in this no, is no. under the pressure of those guys. Can you imagine were. if you stumbled holding oh, the just oh I find it agony to watch. Anything. But it's, it's striking me that we are so supremely brilliant. I think we should form a, uh, should form a kind of a pageants RF <laughs> company <laughs> and lay on these events for for people abroad. You know, you lend them the costumes and the bands and the gold coaches and the gun carriages and the battalions of horses, and they can CGI the odd castle into the background. Because we've got it all, haven't we? We're I just tell you, so I, tell what, I, 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 I only realised afterwards that, you know, I thought, how are they keeping the rhythm of this going all the way through? You know, because the drums were beating all the yeah. way through, all the way back up to the Wellington Arch or whatever it's called in uh, Hyde Park Corner. And apparently it was set at 75 beats per minute. That is, that is the BPM of the of the of the kind of uh, of a marching band, uh, uh, no, or a state a sl- funeral, of a, a funeral march. Yeah, because that'd be band, a slightly slower, which, 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 right. which is which is different. So you know, seventy five BPM. It's extraordinary. I love the way that the the media tends to 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 look for brilliant and angles on these things, like like the kind of, kind of heroes and villains angles. And there were two really good ones. The 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 TV one was kind of. Who's too big to go on the bus? Joe Biden wouldn't <laughs> Joe go Biden. on the bus, but Trudeau would go on the bus. So Trudeau there comes out of that looking really good. And then, of course, on Twitter, there was the kind of the queue jumping thing, you know, which is Beckham versus Schofield, oh, yeah, which is an absolute still running. And it's absolutely oh, yeah. great. Well, David Beckham queued up for the entire 13 hours or whatever. And Philip Schofield was ushered in to kind of... Well, I, yeah, I haven't got into the details of the Schofield thing, but it's clearly... It sent a, a chill through ITV land, doesn't it? That's, Completely. Uh, that whole thing. I don't know the rights and wrongs of it. Oh, all. no, it's really complicated because, I mean, they were going in as reporters and quite a lot of other reporters went in too, but we never saw them. They just happened to go through the wrong door, which picked them up on the TV coverage. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of other people in there. I mean, it was a- we, we don't know about. So you mean, but by the same token, I still, I'm still thoroughly rooting for David Beckham. I mean, I'm, he may well have had ulterior motives. You know, <laughs> there may be a knighthood he's got his eye on. I don't know, but at least he did it. I thought it was fantastic that he did. I think David Beckham sits there and thinks, "What would David Beckham do?" <laughs> and then yeah. he decides. That's what he'd do. Yeah, absolutely. He goes and does that. I don't think he's cynical. I just think yeah. he has, he understands the responsibility to be yeah. David Beckham and to do things, you know, that... that uh, yeah, he does. Seems and I learned a new word, too. Catafalque. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Catafalque, a word I'd never heard, which is the plinth, the kind of ornate plinth that the coffin was on. Yeah. It was just, there was some lovely comments about that. There was a story about two people who met in the queue and had fallen in love. And uh, David Quantic tweeted this thing. He just said, catafalque of love. Just it was really good. <laughs> Little Lou Reed reference there. So that was or the entertainment. That my phone pinging. Th- yeah, there was the entertainment event of the b- week. Uh, it was fantastic. No, com- no, no competition at all. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. I was reminded this morning when we talked to Dave Rimmer, our old pal from Smash Hits, we're just doing a, a podcast with him about his book that he wrote in, called Like Punk Never Happened. And Dave was at Smash Hits uh, along with uh, various other people, including Neil Tennant. Neil and Dave always used to sit by the record player and I can remember them playing us in the office, playing um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, The Message. And which was, uh, this is amazing, it was 40 years ago, Dave, this week, I just looked it up, My that God. that was a hit. 19th 
of September 1982. So, so if you go, if you do the usual calculation, yeah, yeah. I can never resist doing on these occasions. Yeah. Go 40 years back from 1982. Yeah. I don't think we've had the Battle of El Alamein yet. No, we haven't. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> it's absolutely astonishing. We're in the Second World War. I know. But I can remember hearing that record and thinking, I mean, now, of course, you hear it, and it sounds like, it sounds like, the, the root of all hip-hop, which is something that it probably was, actually. But I can remember hearing it and thinking, I have never heard anything like this before. No, I remember Neil explaining that these were musicians who weren't really musicians. You know, that Grandmaster Flash was a DJ. Grandmaster Flash had, had, had just spun records, and that's what he did. He, he hadn't mastered any instrument. I remember thinking that was absolutely extraordinary. And it struck me that, that there, are, there, there are only a few moments when you hear a record and you think that is completely new. You know, Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. Mm. You remember that? Mm. I remember thinking, hearing that and thinking, never. I Feel Love by Donna Summer. I thought was absolutely... I Feel Love. Well, famously, Brian Eno took that to the studio, didn't he, where David Bowie was making whatever record he was making and said, in future, all records will sound like this. And he was was And he was absolutely right. He was right. Whereas Oh Superman was... Strange and fresh, but it led nowhere. No, it led nowhere. That's true. No, I mean, some of these, where, the model by the by Kraftwerk the, did the lead somewhere. The yeah. message led to loads of things. You know, I feel love led to loads of things. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, you know, there are one-off records like the Days of Pearly Spencer by David McWilliams. That probably didn't lead anywhere either, but it was just absolutely extraordinary sound. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that when it came out? Just listen to anything. I've, I've nothing, no, no precedent for this. I can remember also, and it can't have been that much longer, further, you know, later, when White Lines Don't Do It came out. And that was similarly, yeah. you know, revolutionary. And also the, the idea they were message records, weren't they? They yeah. had yeah, something they to say. And there yeah. was genuinely something to say. You know, it wasn't just put together by a producer um and uh, you know it's no it's no accident those records still sound absolutely extraordinary they do today, you know they really do they sound really really fresh and really hard did you interview Grandma well Sarah? yes i did <laughs> i did interview the grandmaster i was doing stuff for the kid jensen show in fact, i was sitting in for kid jensen who's on holiday that's right and they wow. said look we can get an interview with grandmaster flash with Sugar Hill Records have offered us this. I said, we've got to do it. That'd be fantastic. And they they trailed this thing just indefinitely, just constantly. It was a really big deal. And I went over there to the studio and we got this guy on the, got him on the phone. And, and, and I was amazed by how I seem to know far more about his life than he did. You know, I was asking him about uh, his collaboration with Curtis Blow and Love Bugs Starsky and, you know, the time he met Melly Mel. And he seemed to be a bit vague about all this. And, and the kind of basic mechanics of scratching records, you know. And again, it just seemed, just seemed a little bit all over the place. But it was OK, and we got a few comments, but he gave absolutely nothing away. It was fundamentally very boring, actually. And we put it out uh, after a fair amount of editing. And uh, a bit later, Steve Taylor, who was, uh, worked at The Face, who we knew, you remember Steve Taylor? Yeah, yeah. He was over in New York, he was doing something on Sugar Hill Records. And they said, oh, yeah, we had uh, Radio 1 did an interview the other day, but the, they wanted Grandmaster Flash, but he wasn't around, so we just got this bloke who just happened to be in the office <laughs> to sit in and do it. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, oh, my God. I was right. I, I suspected something was slightly amiss. It's, uh, it's Never a, dared mention it to It's a collector's item, that is. It is. Yeah. Anybody know, who's got a recording of that, we would very We'd much love appreciate, to hear it. Yeah. appreciate hearing it. Yeah. So that's Grandmaster Flash and the message. New thing. New Go thing, on. Mark. 
we talked to loads of people who got books and, uh, you know, a certain number of them are musicians. Sometimes it seems that every musician who could write an autobiography has, if not in the fullness of time, in the last two years, they've, they've turned out an autobiography, haven't they? Because, yeah. you know, musician after musician, and you talk to them, you say, why do you do it? Oh, I had nothing else to do. I said to yeah. do it. And, uh, and then get an advance and so forth. And so we often think about who are the, the shrinking um, cohort of musicians who could write a book that we r- really like to read but haven't done, okay? Yeah. So we're going to call this They've Got a Book in Them, okay? Yeah. They've Got a Book in Them. And I'll go first, shall I? Have you, you so is he going to be a musician? Well, he, he, could I be think, anybody. You go on. It's a surprise to me. Okay, I'm going to start. I'll tell you who's got a book in them that I would dearly, dearly like to read and will probably never appear. Is Raikuda. Oh, God, yes. A Raikuda book. Because Raikuda is a unique individual. And just just go through the the things that made him unique, you know. Um, brought up by very radical parents in the 40s and 50s in Santa Monica, had a terrible accident when he was a young child, somehow involving a knife in his eye, which resulted in the loss of one eye. He has eye. a glass eye, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And his parents bought him a guitar to give him something to do. And it's, you know, it's classic case of the old thing, you know, kids who spend a lot of their time in solitary life because of illness or, or yeah. accident or whatever very often develop extraordinary talents. And and Raikuda clearly did this because by the time he was 15 or 16, he was, you know, he was in the rising suns with Taj Mahal, you know. And and anybody who heard him in, in California just thought, That's, that guy's absolutely astonishing. Astonishing, yeah. Um, you know, his utter mastery of the guitar. And it wasn't mastery like he learned how to play like, I don't know, Blind Willie Johnson or whatever. He learned how to play in a, in a way that was completely his own. It was, you know, it had traces of all those people, but it was his own. And then he was in Captain Beefheart's Magic Band in the early days and clearly did the, yeah. did, the, did the arrangements and, you know, he, he was the musical director. Yeah, and just walked out when they were just about to do the Monterey Festival, because Beefheart had walked off stage and fallen off stage during a show, and Raikuda just thought, "I can't be dealing with this clown yeah. anymore." You know, I'm a professional musician. This guy's a show off, and you know, so then went off, and you know, and then nearly joined the Rolling Stones for crying out loud. You know. Yeah, he he was yeah. over here, you know, recording Olympic with with the Rolling Stones. Then went off and did his own wonderful solo records. And, you know, did things like Little Village with John Hyatt and Nick Lowe, Nick Lowe. and Jim Kellner. And in near, almost every case, when he got anywhere near any commercial success, he just turned on his heel yeah. and went away because... He's too much of a purist, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's kind of oddly snobbish view of most rock musicians. Yeah. And that's what I would like to read. And you've still about. got the Buena Vista Social Club story to come. Absolutely. Which is All astonishing. Yeah. All those things. And now he's back, you know. He's you know, he's been working with his with his son and uh, you know, he's back with a with he recorded with a live band, you know, a few yeah. years ago. 
And he's he's done absolutely everything he wanted to do. Yeah. Clearly, according to his own rules, while being really bad tempered about it, all the almost all the way through. Yes. As, yeah. As if he doesn't feel anybody quite comes up to his standards. That's what I'd like to read about. Yeah. I'd love to read that story of a, a genuine musician who's got really interesting views on other musicians. I interviewed him. It must have been about 1980 or something like that. I can't remember which album. Bop T.O. Drop or one of those records. And I said I, I was very taken by the fact that he loved, he was doing these songs while Blind Alfred Reed always lifting up and these kind of things. And I put this to him. He said, yes, I've always been attracted to songs with a certain gravity about them. And I remember, I can, I can remember where I was when he said that to me. I thought, that is so interesting. Yeah. And you, you interview musicians for bloody years and they never say anything as interesting as that. The word gravity. I thought, you know, most musicians don't reach for that at all. You know what I mean? And that, that was the way he looked at music and has looked at music all the way through. So I, I would remember love interviewing to Leonard read. Cohen, and Leonard Cohen said uh, he said that I think the purpose of music is to is to stop the mind from spinning, uh, yeah. and to confer a sense of peace and calm. And I thought that was just a wonderful thing, as if the mind is constantly this troubled thing that needs needs the uh, you know the the anchoring listening to music. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. So that's my nomination. That's I good. would like to read a Raikou de autobiography. It'll never happen. What's yours? Oh well, mine actually. Well, I'll do it very briefly. Is a non is actually a non musician, but although a, a musician wise, the, the 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 biography I'd love to read is Neil Tennant's. I mean, Neil Tennant. Oh, that's God. true. Neil Tennant's still not written his, and he's met absolutely it. everybody. And you and I have heard you know his stories about Lisa Minnelli and Dusty Springfield, which are just fantastic. <laughs> really, really briefly, there's a guy that we interviewed once on the pod, Bernard Doherty. Oh, that's and Bernard true. Doherty has lived an extraordinary life. Very briefly, he told us about it. He started off working in dance halls as do, a DJ. You don't have to do it briefly, Mark, at all. Yeah. And reminder. And anybody yeah. who wants to know more, there is, you know, yeah. just look on YouTube. We've done a long interview with Bernard. He was fantastic. It's a fantastic life. And he started off, I think when he was 16 or 17, in the, in the 1960s uh, as a DJ in dance halls. So amazing stuff about fashion and music and people. He hung around the Marquee Club and the Flamingo Club. He saw absolutely everybody in Hendrix and Cream, Floyd, etc. Et then he got a job aged, I think, about 18 at Basildon and Ilford Mecca Ballrooms. And then at age 19, he worked for a year in Copenhagen and Stockholm as a full time. I mean, that, that I think, is a, it would be a real insight. Came back, became a PR. And the thing about being a PR is that... No, it's a before like... a PR. Sorry, before Bernard was a yeah. PR... He worked for oh, he's Richard, a Tom's, Richard Thompson's management. And so he drove Richard and Linda Thompson. He roadied Richard and Linda Thompson. He did. In fact, he lived with Richard Thompson, I think, for a while, didn't he? he all lived that it. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and Joe Lustig worked for Joe Lustig. Joe Lustig, the, that was That's the guy the manager, who, yeah, who managed yeah, yeah. Uh, Sea Life Band and Pentacle, so all those kind yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. Then he, then, and then briefly, actually, yeah, he, was, um, he, he worked for, um, for Joe Boyd's Hannibal Records, so all that stuff about Nick Drake and the Incredible String Band, Fun 12 and all. But when he became a PR, PRs, I think, are a bit like 
to have a relationship with people a bit like hairdressers or, or photographers or costumiers. Or whatever. <laughs> they're there to make you look good. Yes. And they're never going to say anything bad about you, you know, not publicly anyway. And therefore you're protected by that relationship and, and, and they become confidants. You know, people, people see, the, the, see, the, see the star on the back foot if they're the PR. They're constantly trying to bail them out of yeah, some absolutely. terrible situation. And, you know, he told us these wonderful stories about being on the road with Jethro Tull, just standing in and doing phone interviews for for, uh, for, for Free and Anderson, just making up what Ian Anderson would say because Ian Anderson could be bothered to do it, you know, and working for Fairport Convention and stuff. And then, of course, he finishes with Live Aid. You know, he was the PR at Live Aid, which would be absolutely fantastic to hear about. And then, for the rest of his life, has still been working with the Stones. Yeah. Now, it may require the Stones to actually shuffle off their mortal coils before he tells us <laughs> anything, really. And, and he probably won't write this book until he retires, and, and he probably won't retire in the near future but Bernard Doherty has a no, fantastic book I, I would read it I, I would he read really it. does that reminds me of another one actually who also ought to write a book and never will but in the who also Bernard will know is is Tony King oh yeah Tony, yeah Tony King who worked worked for the Stones on and off over the years and I first met Tony King when I went to Barbados to interview Mick Jagger and we went out for a meal and Tony was just he's fantastically entertaining character. His first job, he got a job in the record business in the late 60s at the age of about 15. I said, what did you have to do? He said, well, the first thing I did was took Brenda Lee to the cinema. <laughs> Fantastic. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fantastic. He, he just went on, you know, he told the yeah. thing, he lived, with, he spent time with John and Yoko at the Dakota, you know, he worked for the Beatles, yeah. by the Rolling Stones, and hilariously funny. And over dinner in Barbados, fantastically indiscreet. <laughs> but, about but, who? About what sort of people? Oh, just all sorts Everybody. of things. He told me the famous story about the international gay fraternity being told that Elton was getting married. Oh, yes. uh, you know, and this is getting married to a woman, for you know, just to remind us of Renata. There was, there was one German sound engineer. There was yeah, one, yeah. you know, and um, 
He was he was in Australia, I think I'm right in saying. No, no, he's oh, I can't remember. He was a long way away. And he had to and ring he, up McCartney. He got a, he got a call. And, yeah. He got a call from Elton saying, oh, "You've got to be in London." It took place in London, I think. Uh, in a couple of days, I'm getting married. And he said, oh, "What?" You know. And anyway, he got he he got a plane ticket, and. He got, he got on the plane, and it was Qantas. So I think he was in Australia. He may not have been. <laughs> and he told he told a fantastic story about about uh, you know the kind of international gay glitterati slowly making the way into business class on this on this flight going back to London, where they were met by a load of Qantas stewards. Similarly gay, similarly absolutely amazed. Stunned. They were all just looking at each other like... I know. What? Yeah, no, I know. What is, I know. is this all about? Yeah, they say, he used to tell me that all these, all these extraordinary stories. He was fantastically entertaining. Ought to write a book. So still with us, obviously. Will. Still with us, as far yeah. as I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I'm sure got many years still left in him. God bless him. Tony King, that's a book you'll never read. The Word Podcast Two Cocoa Tins and a Piece of String. Well, I got a bit of a jolt this morning reading the sad news of the death of Hilary Mantel um, at the age of 70. Very suddenly. Um, but she had not enjoyed good health. Throughout her life, I think that's fair to say, you know. So, uh, but uh, you know, terrible tragedy, terrible tragedy. I I know, as you and I always say when we hear about people dying so young, you know, it's 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 um, Warren Zevon's great maxim, isn't it? Enjoy every sandwich. Enjoy every sandwich. I know. Fine piece of advice. Oh, to go alongside Keith Richards, the older you get, the older, the older you want to get. get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was, Hilary Mantle has been, been kind of um, front of mind for me of late because it's one of the things I, I – the Wolf Hall trilogy was one of the things I reread during um, lockdown because I, 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 I read The Mirror and the Light, which is the third yeah. trilogy, and then I thought, well, there's only one thing to do with it when you finish it is go back to the beginning and start again, you know. And it's and uh, you know just thinking about her again today after this sad news, I think I'm going to have to go and read it again. Third because time. it's one of those things that you, the more you get into, the more time you can spend there. But the amazing thing to me is that it was such a bestseller, and uh, and it, it's it's kind of not easy, you know. What I mean, it's not an ingratiating read at all. It doesn't make it easy for you at all. It's quite it's quite flat. It's very dense, um, and it just take it kind of takes a second read through to get to the point where you think, "No, I really want to live in this place." You know, it it, it takes you to an utterly alien, strange place. You know, it doesn't it doesn't try and connect it with the now in any way, and I found it absolutely transporting, just really, really extraordinary. And then I watched, I went and saw the stage play and, uh, you know, I watched the telly thing and in insofar as I could deal with it. And um, and then went back to the book again, you know. 
I've never strange. read it, but I saw her talk at Cheltenham Festival. She was fantastic, and she read great chunks of it out. She was absolutely brilliant. Also, it's interesting, she was, she was 57 when that came out. I mean, so, so often authors require that self-belief. I mean, she, not that she was unsuccessful. Of course she was unsuccessful. She was making, you know, a, a reasonable living, but she didn't break through till she was 57. No, that really is breaking through. Which, and that was just breaking to a complete, into another league. Did you, did you, ever, see the, um, you ever see the pictures of her study? Um, she is obviously she obviously made so much money out of it, and, yeah. Uh, and she could afford to kind of do to her dwelling place whatever she wanted to do, and she lived in in Devon, I think, somewhere. Certainly overlooking the sea, beautiful, yeah. uh, overlooking a bay, and uh, and she had the most enormous sweeping picture window right round the place, so that she worked. Overlooking the sea. How would you get any work done? How would you get any work done? Never, ever. You'd just be looking out the window, going, "Oh, look, little fishing boat." The seagull. The sea never runs out of interest, does no. it? Absolutely never. But what a formula! The historical novel, you know, because those have sold surely far more than any history books have sold. You know, no matter what, oh, yeah, yeah. no matter what Peter Ackroyd sold, no matter what Anthony Beaver sold. The novelization, fictionalization of a true story is the real commercial. But also, to, also to pick a character so unsympathetic on the face of it. I know. You know, a man who history despised. You know what I mean? And, yep. um, and and to make him the hero of these of these three books, it's extraordinary. I was. I'm going to read you a, a tiny bit that I I I noted down when I read yep. it, and I found it again. Um. Which just gives you gives you some idea of how great she was, and this is Thomas Cromwell when he's um, he spared somebody's life, which he was he was obviously in a position to do from time to time, you know, because Thomas Cromwell at the court of Henry VIII was a little bit like being a cabinet minister for for Vladimir Putin, you know what I mean? Yeah, it could go either way at any 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 juncture. And but anyway, he spared somebody, and the, and the and the the chapter finishes as follows: There's a feeling of power in reserve, a power that drives through the bone, like the shiver you sense in the shaft of an axe when you take it into your hand. You can strike or you cannot strike, and if you choose to hold back the blow, you can still feel inside you. The resonance of the emitted thing. Fantastic. The resonance to end, of the... To end on the word thing, too, is just genius, isn't the it? The resonance of the emitted thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you can, you know, it's the idea that you pick up a tool that can do great damage. Yeah. You put it down. You can still feel in your wrist the damage you could have done. Yeah. You know what I mean? You pick up a hammer or anything like that, you know. You're struck by the idea of what you could the potential, do. Potential, yeah, and you, and you put destructive it power. You can still feel it within you, within your wrist. So, um, a great writer, a great writer. Very, very sad. Very sad. So young, I know. Uh, absolutely. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit. From this next bit. It's another birthday special on the pod with Ed Newman, who's a, a, a neurologist at the Glasgow Royal Infirmary, which is where you are now, Ed, I think. Uh, I am. I'm, I'm in, on a in, shift. In, that's right. In, 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 my, in a small office in, in, in the Royal. 
Fantastic. Very good. Well, look, so happy you're not birthday. in costume. Not in costume. It's actually the worst. You don't just do it to impress people. Like... <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Do you know? Since, since since COVID, we've all been wearing scrubs, and and it just it just it, it, there's no sartorial decisions to make in the morning. So it's you know, that which is really very good. nice uniform. All oh, right. Fair yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot to be said for a uniform, actually. Well, like, listen, my my main core. My main quarrel with hospitals on the rare occasions that I go in there is I think people ought to have more uniforms. You ought to be able to see the level of seniority. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, seriously. I mean, there has been, there has been fun, over, I've been, I've been working for the NHS for 20 years now. And there are, um, um, there were times where with nursing staff that the, the, the seniority was based on the, on how dark their costumes, their, their, their outfits were. So, Black was the charge nurse, and and they got sort of lighter the more junior they were. But yeah, I th- I th- but then every and as soon as anyone gets used to it, then they change it all completely again. Well, that's uh, a good system. A Surgeons yellow, you know, uh, just doctors. No, I, I think I think the yeah. more senior they were, the, the more the more tweed they wore. When they <laughs> yes. were really senior. Yeah, the more you trust them and make <laughs> yeah, them comfortable. They were really senior. They weren't there at all. They were on the golf course. It's not. Know. It's not quite like that anymore. But uh, no, yeah. no, I'm sure. You're wearing a deer stalker, sure. smoking a pipe. As Mark and I are thinking thinking about the fifties. Yeah. Anyway, right. Your birthday was when? It was a while you know, ago. It was, wasn't it was it? in early August. Um, and it was it was spent in 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 Ely and Fife, and it was it was really good. It was really good. But um... right, right. Now, have you got have you got a log to throw on the word in your ear? Fire or yeah, a well, question or anything? Possibly. You'd like to put I've, to I've, us? I've got a, I've got a, I've got a question, and then I've got a book pitch for you. Right. Um, right. Well, expecting us to to to, to publish it, to write it, <laughs> <laughs> to write it for you. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I'll I'll be brief with the question because you might not find it too interesting. But I think in the last year, so I I, I really enjoy podcasts, and I, I um and in the last year, I've I've started listening to two um podcasts which are devoted to to it to, to, to kind of either a band or an individual. So I'm listening to Is It Rolling Bob for Bob Dylan. Yeah, very and, I'm li- right. and, and, I, and I'm listening to uh, the Egg Pod podcast for, both great. For, for the Beatles, and they're, right. they're fantastic. And I'm just, I, I'm just curious, and I'm sure there are lots of other single artist podcasts that you that you that, that are around there, but surely there aren't that many individuals that you no. could do that for. Because ha- staying, I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. You, I, I mean, the Be- the Beatles, Bob Dylan. We always used to find this in magazines. You always used to think. Let's do a feature where we get 10 examples of something. And you'd always go, well, there's the Beatles. And then you go, there's Bob Dylan. And then you'd be thinking, you're scratching around. Scratching, yeah, you're <laughs> chewing the end of your pencil. <laughs> because, because they are just, they, as two artists are just so productive. Well, particularly Bob Dylan, because he'd been doing it for so long. You know what I mean? But, but the, All but that I think, stuff. But there's also something where um, I think with, the, with this... Or even divorced from the music, the story of the Beatles is so fascinating. Yeah, and Bob yeah. Dylan is such a fascinating character um, that, yeah. that, that, that there's material there. And you kind of think that that if that there might be people whose music is almost as interesting, but they just they, but the narrative just doesn't suit 400 no. episodes. No, but a lot of it's about sheer volume. I'm sure there are Grateful Dead podcasts, you know, yeah, yeah, just yeah, so yeah. much of it. Uh, but, you know, it's not really about the... Uh, Specifics of the music. It's just that particular version or whatever. I think Steely Dan's a possibility, but I don't yeah. know. Steely Dan does just huge musical variety and huge lyric interest in all sorts of angles you could approach them. 
I tried I tried a Tom Waits one, but it didn't quite work. And I love Tom Waits, but the, yeah, just, right. maybe it was the format and maybe having the right person and getting the right interviewees is 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 a, is a big part of it. But I, I don't think I, I there's think many. also also with the Beatles and Bob Dylan actually are fantastic human stories, aren't they? They're not kind of music business stories. They're human. Um and you know, I don't think you could do the same thing about Pink Floyd or or, you know, or, or loads of groups. Listen, the Beatles, Mark and I went only the other day to a run-through of, of Mark Lewison's new show, which is things. all about no, yeah. 62 things, about 1962. And uh, and Mark and I know a ridiculous amount about the Beatles, and we're sitting there with Ian Birch and there's, you know... There's Surrounded by probably 200 people who know <laughs> probably more than we do, and all of us, weren't yeah. we, Dave? We're looking at each other at various points going, I never knew that. Absolutely you know astonishing. <laughs> so you, even it's if you've gone in there and found one thing, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And also the Beatles. There's so much documentation. Um, you know, he, he was showing us, you know, letters written to George Harrison by fans in 1962 or whatever, and his replies. And yeah. uh, and I just think, don't think that stuff exists on that. Well, no, scale the digital world is all going to be gone. All those programs, the fan letters, the the tickets, the contracts, you know, all that stuff that you can go and find, you know. But he's so particularly good at do. doing it, though. Mark Lewisham is, is, is a great he's writer. Fantastic. And, and he, he just, he, he, he puts it, and even though you think, well, the, the, the amazing, I think I read a Beatles book every year, like, uh, and, and, and there's something oh, yeah. slightly, there's something comforting about it. See, see the, yeah. the, was it the Craig Brown book, one, two, three, four, yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of summers ago? You just like, it was it was just how have you made something that you think you know so fast that you, you, you can still dive back into it you can, you can tell me the old so old story isn't well it? he you does know, he's got a brilliant technique Craig, Craig Brown because all of those are are human anecdote yeah. stories they're all about people all about human interaction yeah yeah like they're yeah. meeting people they're not about factual things that happened or complications about a mix or whatever but it's amazing that the the your capacity to be astonished. I realised during the Mark Lewison thing that he he'd got a picture of the Beatles in front of a warehouse in Liverpool, and he'd gone back and found that warehouse, and it was still there, and found a picture of Bob Dylan in front of the same warehouse. And I don't know why those things are so enthralling. Just seeing people in front of landmarks that are still there and you recognise, and you can amazing go thing. to them. The amazing thing for me in that thing, and I wanted to ask him about this, I thought, but I thought, no, it's too tiny a point. He so he talked about how the Decker didn't sign the Beatles. Decker signed, signed Brian the Tremolos instead, Brian Poole and the Tremolos, because they were closer. They were in Dagenham, you know. And he had a piece from the Dagenham newspaper about the Tremolos signing to to Decker, and I thought. How do you come upon that? Because yeah. I understand how you can chase everybody detail about the Beatles and everybody around them, but how do you do? You, you can't possibly do the same about the Tremolos or or all the million characters around the side. I suppose it's just basically when he finds anything, he puts it away in a filing cabinet, doesn't he? And then he, it finds a use late, many many years later, you know. But it's astonishing. So yeah, I don't know if you get. Oh, well, you're in Glasgow, so you won't get a chance to see. see no, well, it's, it's only. It's, yeah, it's only in London. It's only okay. in London. Do you want my book so, pitch? Go on, let's have yeah, the book pitch. Your, yeah, go <laughs> right. on. So this, this, the, the seeds of this were, were sown um, uh, when I was a first year medical student, and I went to a, um, I went to, a, um, uh, the professor of ophthalmology did a did a talk on, 
he was talking about introducing a couple of um, kind of eye problems, and and he talked about cataracts, and he talked about myopia and glaucoma and a few other things, and he he illustrated the visual disturbance that that patients who experience cataracts by getting the early paintings of Claude Monet and comparing it to the later plate paintings. So the idea being, you know, he's get, he's get it's get it's getting hazier, it's getting you know, and and yeah, and the point more that impressionist. I, and, and and as time goes on, and actually arguing that the impressionists were all myopic, you know, and that's yeah. that they're short sighted, and that's kind of why, um, um, that that they, you know, some of them were seeing it that way. Anyway, it, it it's, it's a bit of a ruse to get you to understand a bit more about these things. And I thought that actually you could do this a bit for music, and uh, and I'm not talking about musicians who develop diseases. I'm talking about diseases that have a have an impact on the development of musicians. So, um, so, so one of the so one of the classic ones is um, for, well from the classical world is are you familiar with um, Bolero by Boris Ravel? Yeah, yeah. Right. If so, I, at school I had to play that, and it's I, it's it's a it's the, the whole thing about it is it's 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 a sixteen minute repeating thing over and over and over again. It's it's, it's hypnotic, but it's an awful thing to have to play. Um, right. And so the latest theory is that Maurice Ravel developed frontotemporal dementia, and frontotemporal dementia is a is a is it, one of the features of it is it make it is is that that repetition thing is, is very much part of it. Um, you, you 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 keep asking the same question, you keep doing the same thing again and again and again. So within within medical literature, it's kind of thought well, you know, this is a, a musical illustration of, of 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 a disease. Now, if you want to move into like kind of popular music I thought of a couple so Joni Mitchell's the obvious one so she she gets she gets polio when she's young and uh, it affects her left side more than her right side she's unable to make the chord shapes that you would normally make um, um, and so she has to use certain tunings and it's those tunings that influence the type of songs that she writes as a young musician and influences her development um, you could argue about, you know, whether it's Cat Stevens and his tuberculosis or Neil Young and his epilepsy, all these all these kind of things. I just think, uh, yeah, you're, I mean, you know, you guys are the writers, but I, so, I, think, I think there's something. Wait, I think there, are I you think talking about people whose who's, uh, afflictions have somehow shaped improved? Because I mean, yeah. a good example, if that's the case, a good example of that might be Ian Dury, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ian, yeah. Ian Dury, because 100%. he couldn't move on stage, I saw him loads of times lit himself in this incredible way from below. Yeah, below, yeah. It was extraordinarily good at expressing a variety of things with just his face and just a few facial movements, you know. And he's a good example, I think, possibly. But but, but also, at the same time, there's a bit of a parallel thing there, which subject that Mark and I often talk about, and we keep compiling lists and then losing the lists. A huge number of really successful musicians spent a year or so in hospital when they were kids. yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ringo Starr, Johnny Rockwell, Ringo Starr, Neil Young, Johnny Mitchell is, is, is the classic. Yeah, absolutely. Jo and and during that time, they very often learned an instrument because it was just yeah. something they could do, and and they developed uh, an ability to focus that probably their you know healthier peers maybe didn't. You know, um, and developed their yeah, imaginations. I, yeah, but also the discipline to play something. You know, because yeah. it, it requires you got to work at it quite hard at a stage where lots of fifteen-year-olds just want to go out and chase girls or whatever, and these people were stuck in hospitals. Um, I think there's I, something I, I, in it. 
I think it's something in it, and I think I you really should do, do it. You should. You need a medical man. You know, anybody else would be getting completely out mm. beyond their uh, beyond their competence. But no, I I think that there is something in. I mean, and also that I don't know how wide you take it, but you know, there is that also also that feeling that you meet really successful musicians. And on one level, you think there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you know, you function in a way that's yeah. not like normal people. You know, the music is a is a compensation for something else. You I, know, I, the, the... I interviewed Roger Waters once, and uh, he told me I was talking about the level of success that he achieved, and there are only certain people who want that level of success. And he said, "said uh, people like myself have holes in our psychology that need to be yeah. filled with adulation." Yeah. It's a really honest thing to say, actually. It is. And there's a complicated guy. You know, his father died, I think, before he was born. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think he ever I met think his, his father. father I think his father was killed while his mother was pregnant in, during in the war. Italy. Yeah, he was born yeah. in 43 or something. That's right. So, I mean, that, you know, that's a complicated guy. Once you know that tiny thing about him, it actually explains part of his extraordinary drive. And, and, I, I, and I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder in, in music. Yeah. And again, I think I think that's that's down to learning an instrument. I mean, you see it in obviously sport is the obvious example. You know, yeah. so, someone like David Beckham having to take the same free kick, you know, hundreds yeah. of times. You know, Johnny Wilkinson is the classic yeah. case. Johnny Wilkinson, he's, he's mad. You know, if he, if he yeah. wasn't for rugby, yeah, just, yeah. Just but there there are medical function. terms. There are ter medical terms for for what he does for his routine and and the movements that he makes before he kicks. And, yeah, and 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 yeah. so and and I think that you can and if you look at certain musicians, you'll you'll see that if you, if if we stop recording, I could sort of mention a couple uh, where because I'm not comfortable recording and saying it. No, but, no, 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 don't enough, worry. Actually, enough. well, David, no, and I went to the went to the tennis in the summer, and so was it Nadal, Dave? Was it Rafa Nadal who had that mm. incredible routine that he did? Oh, extraordinary! Bizarre, where he touches his shoulders and his yeah, you know, in absolutely the same order head, every time, and in the same order every time, they patch yeah. the ball the same number of times and just go through his routine. And he, unless he's done that, he can't settle down. It's really interesting to watch. Yeah, but then, but guitarists will have their same settling routine. Yeah, I'm you sure. Know, and uh, you know, and vocalists, uh, no doubt, you know. Yeah. And, uh, Very uh, good. Uh, there's something in uh, it. <laughs> It's a good, it's a good idea for a book. You should write it. Um, we'll we'll Mark and I will put something on the blurb. When man looking for book deal. Excellent. Really <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, you have to introduce well, like, them to a publisher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope, yeah. They, they're, they're signing up difficult. doctors like the No Tomorrow at the yeah, moment. That's right. It's a growing area. I would have thought you got a you got a very good shout there. <laughs> Um, you you got you got a better shout at getting a publishing deal with a thing like that if you are a doctor than if you're just a writer. Completely, a because you go in there say, "No, I will tell you the secrets. I'll tell you how this works." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you got to just go work out how to write it. That's the easy bit. <laughs> well, so lovely to see you. Thanks for. Uh, I'm sorry we're we're late with your birthday. Not at all. But, not you know, all. Yeah, sorry to late than never. butt in on your working hours. The sorry. Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink, and it's like being in the pub. Okay. Uh, any other business? Sorry, just a bit of fun. I said I got another Statwoody game. I can't resist. I've got Go on, to, do it. Do I'm it. I'm going to try it on both. I'm, of yeah. I'm all ears. The two of you. This is similar thread. Advertising slogan or Frank Zappa track? Okay. Good. Advertising Ooh. slogan or Frank Zappa track? Here we go. 
You might want to write these down. I'd walk a mile for a camel. I'd walk a mile for a camel. What's How the... many of each other, then? There's just one that's an actual uh, zapper track. The rest yep. are advertising slogans. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Is that a French yeah. rapper song or is it an advertising slogan? Gee, I like your pants. Is that an advertising slogan or is it a Frank Zappa song? Yeah. Once you pop, you can't stop. You just can't stop. <laughs> is that an advertising slogan or a Frank Zappa track? The more you play with it, the harder it gets. Is that a Frank Zappa song <laughs> or is that an advertising slogan? And finally, nothing sucks like an Electrolux. Is that an advertising slogan or is it a Frank Zappa tune? Okay, I've got Alex Gold and I've got Mark Allen. That's so very to, good. got to identify okay. the one I... that's a Frank Zappa tune. Go on, Alex. Everybody always wants may, more information. May I be so bold? Go on. May I be so bold as to, as to dive into what I think are the certs in terms of advertising slogans? Yeah, go on. I'd walk a mile for a camel is in fact a cigarette slogan. That's correct. Yeah, which is very good because, ca uh, of course, the, Zappa had a track called It Must Be a Camel. So that was your... I know, that was nice. your very clever little uh, ruse there. OK, carry on. What's the worst that could happen? Dr Pepper. Hey, he knows. Very good. Very, very nosy good. stuff. Very good. Carry on. Once you pop, you just can't Once stop. Is is uh, Pringles? Pringles. Is Pringles? Yeah. Okay. yeah. How about the uh, more you play with it, the harder you get. The harder it, the harder gets. it gets. I think that's too obviously a kind of finale, finale zapper thing. So it must be an advertising slogan. <laughs> I think. I think the zapper one is "Gee, I like your pants." That's like, correct. Because that couldn't correct. possibly be an ad slogan. It's that's just too over the top. That's correct. The more you play with it, what's the more you play with it, the harder hard you get? Is it's that Sega. It's Sega. Oh. It's Sega game. Oh, oh, very good. And nothing sucks like an Electrolux. Like an Electrolux. Is, is Electrolux. That's right. Those are very good, though. And we were See, talking I about... thought that was a big, big old red herring. I thought I thought that was put there just to trick us. And it, That's very that good. I'm not that but... clever. I'm not that clever. Talking about <laughs> sucks and Electrolux, where we were talking about Canton Beefheart earlier on when we were talking about Raikuda. And you know the famous story about Captain Beefheart had a job in his teens, door-to-door -door selling vacuum cleaners in the in the high desert uh, outside Los Angeles. And one day he went knocked on a door, and the man who came to the door was, to his amazement, Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley, the author wow. of Brave New World and whatever else. And... Um, and so Beefheart was shocked, but managed to compose himself sufficiently to point at the vacuum cleaner at his feet and say, Sir, this sucks. There you this go. sucks. That's really good. That all so, this sucks. Okay. Uh, any other business, Alex, that we knew we ought to be talking about this week? Have we got any new patrons, Magic? Yeah. We do whatever the collective noun for a, for a group of patrons is. Patrons is we, we we have some. It's a blessing so, of patrons. It it's is a blessing. Oh, that's it's lovely. It's a treasure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's our best okay. friends. Yeah, go on. Indeed. It's so, our, actually sorry, are... I interrupt. It's our new best friend. Okay, that's our new best friends. 
Okay, carry on. There we are. There it is. Okay, so we have Big Z. Big Z. Big good for Big Z. Big Z. Brian Campbell. Brian Campbell. Thank you, Brian. That's very good. Thank you very much. Welcome aboard. Your best friend, Brian. Philip Pennington. Philip. Hello. And you, Excellent. No less. No less at all. John McKay, who's subscribed annually, which means he gets a 15% discount. Oh. I bet we know that, John McKay. Oh, really? Do you think Johnny McKay, the, do you think it's Johnny McKay or Johnny McKee, as it's pronounced, the former editor of Smash Hits? Uh, uh, I uh, think it might be. Is it John McKay out the Susie and the Banshees? Oh, could be that. Could, could be John McKay, yeah, absolutely, who used yeah. to be the editor of Who did a bunk on the tour, didn't he? That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should anyway. find out. And, finally, we have a new birthday patron. Oh, oh good. Matthew Elliott. Matthew Elliott. So good. We're, we're Matthew, be, we look forward to coming and rifling through your record collection. And shinning down your digital drain pipe or up it or whatever, going through your record collection and poking fun at it, frankly, because that's what we do. <laughs> but people, occasionally very envious. People, people. That'll be good. People seem to enjoy it. And so if you want to know more about how you can join the blessed, our, uh, our new best friends, the place to go is patreon.com slash word in your ear. And you look at the various different tiers via which you could get involved and, uh, and, and, and be basking in the sunshine of our love. And actually, have we announced our, we're having a little Christmas do, aren't we, Alex? We're, we're having a November do. We're having a gathering. Oh, in November, yes. Yeah, come on. What we're was the date? We should announce the date. November, we'll do it, it now. It is. I'm just going to tell November you. November the 14th. November the 14th. So if you're, if you're a Patreon supporter. Yeah, November, the Monday, November oh. the 14th. And you're the in the London of. area. And you're in the London area. Uh, we'd love to welcome you um, at a London hostelry for a bit of a social. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Further, further details in due course. Some form of entertainment. We don't know what yet. It'll be good. So make sure you make a note of that in your diary, because I know your diary is already filling up with Christmas parties and all kinds of things. Um, but don't forget to add that to it. Um, anything else that we got to add before we disappear? Alex? We've done some nice podcasts, didn't we? The one we just did, the one with Dave Rimmer, which will be coming out soon. We did Mark Cooper next week, talking about his later book. Paul yeah. Gorman's thing about the music press. Paul Gorman's book about the music good. press, yeah. yeah. Um, so, quite a bit. Giles a bit Martin, we talked to. We're going to talk to Giles Martin. We're going to put that out in, uh, in about yes. two weeks' time about his remixing of Revolver. So, yeah, good stuff. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.